Happy Wednesday from Kauai. If you've never been to this island, please try to plan it. I'm overwhelmingly content. I don't know if I've ever been this content in my whole life. I've been able to work a lot. I am doing some school still. Um, it's pretty incredible. Technology allows me to do what I do anywhere in the world, and I'm really grateful for that. You'll hear a rooster in just a second that's kept us up for a while. <laughs> I think his alarm clock is off. Uh, this podcast today is awesome because it's something that I think we all struggle with. So it's with Maddie, Maddie Berkey. She's someone that's kind of been through it all and her story sounds familiar. You know, I think everyone will relate to the feeling of doing all we can with food to try to, you know, gain control or to try to change who we are and how that can emotionally tap into who we are and what we can give. And I think it was just a really great talk and I hope that you guys love it all about the relationship with food and how to build a healthy one. I think that's just, you know, the daily struggle I'm launching macros with M, you know, and I, that's my biggest thing is I want to teach people how to be sustainable while also wanting to change your body. You know, you don't have to hate yourself and you can hope for progress and you can expect progress from yourself, but you don't have to go to this dark loathing place that we always tend to do when we're trying to change something. So, uh, macros with them is happening and new challenge is happening. October 2nd, 21 day challenge, just some good videos about, you know, good food and eating real food and loving yourself and inflammation and all the fun things that I like to talk about adrenals, gut health, all the NTP nerdy stuff. And I, I think that's really, you know, the biggest thing I have. And as always podcast every Wednesday, I have some great guests coming up as always. And I think I am going to call it meathead hippie waiting for the logo and I will launch it hopefully next week. All right. Emilystrom.com for all the challenge updates, macros with M, all of that. And I'll see you guys next week. Enjoy the episode. <laughs> MFit Radio. Maddie, it is so wonderful. Do you ever go by Madeline? 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 Yeah, Madeline um, is my real name. Uh, Such I, a great name. I know. I actually love that name. It's cute. Literally, the other day, my mom asked me if she was allowed to call me Madeline. I was like, what's the name? Okay. <laughs> it's a very lovely name. Um, it sort of got changed without my consent in high school. I think because it fits so perfectly with Berkey. It's like Maddie Berkey is such like a cheery, friendly little name. Yeah. Um, and I was sort of miserable in high school, so I like sort of resented that shift. I did. I high school, you know, Mindy, do you know Mindy Perkins? Mm-hmm. She does, um, that she's an actress for, uh, Ask Mindy or hey, oh, Mindy, Mindy Project. Oh, Mindy Lahiri. Yes, Mindy Lahiri. Why did I say Mindy Perkins? I don't even know where that came from. But she says something that I love. She's like, don't peak in high school. Oh, yeah. It's bad news. And now I'm like, is Mindy Lahiri her real name or is that her name on the Mindy Project? So maybe her real name is... Maybe. I don't know what it is. But Mindy. Yeah. I love Mindy. She's great. Oh, yeah, so funny. I, did, I was not a fan of high school. I definitely did not think in high school. Ah, I had such a hard time because I was like... I mean, I've always been like a thinker, you know, like kind of an old soul. It just felt like such a waste and so silly in so many different ways. And people... You know, anyway, so yes, yeah, about high school. But yeah, no, I, I like both things. <laughs> but I now introduce myself as Maddie, which is funny. Um, and Maddie, you are a incredible writer, um, nutritionist, and you do some speaking. And I've heard you're incredible at speaking. <laughs> Kayla told me you're a wonderful speaker. Oh, but um, I love speaking. I usually introduce myself as a medley of things, and I'm a whole little, whole little medley. What is your favorite thing to do of all the things that you do? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I don't know if I have a favorite, which is why I love the medley. Like, there's something really surprising always about writing. Um, you get to the end of something, and it's rarely where you expect it to be or whether you don't realize you knew that. I think sometimes things like that are just buried deep down inside of us, and writing is the act of uncovering 
and I have a really beautiful writer friend who described it of like we rarely see all of our thoughts out to completion when they're in our heads they kind of just travel around and so the act of writing is a way to actually let those thoughts become coherent sentences and huh. so then we can actually figure out things we've we've sort of been wandering around but just haven't really established their borders or even like accept it mm, you yeah. know it's if it's in my head it's not a fact or it's not a truth and then when you write it down you're like oh yeah this is real this is an, this is something we need to talk about <laughs> yeah and to that same end i love with writing that you realize how important the words you use are mm-hmm. and also your choices in the matter and that, so writing has really helped me change my own internal narrative because i realize i can construct my external narrative um and it never really hit me that I could do the exact same thing with my internal narrative. So I like to play a lot of times with the fact that we can be the author and the editors of our own lives. We can, we can be the person with the red pen crossing out words that no longer fit us or that keep us small. And writing for me has really opened up the, the internal process as well, that you have the same freedom. I love what you do with your writing. So, you know, we'll definitely link some of, you know, the best places to find writing, but... I love, I can't remember where it was, probably Elephant Journal, Um, but you do such a good job about talking about people that are allowing people to have permission to just not to be human, right? Like you, you address that so well that I think nobody does. And this conversation that we have with ourselves is supposed to be flawed. And I think that was so big for me when I, even when we were just talking at one of our Tuesday meetups of like you said like you should have that conversation like it should be messy it's just like this relationship with self doesn't have to be this glamorous loving perfect we got it figured out it's a lot you're allowing yourself to be messy yeah I think it's it's so important and I mean I'm biased because my relationship with myself is messy <laughs> so I think part of me was like well, otherwise I'm like Totally well, same, or, same, all of us, right? Yeah. Same for me too. Like it's, it is messy. It's just maybe perceived as put together. Right. And I think that's often the only, honestly, the only pieces we see a lot of the time are these really perfectly edited lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fair. Like I don't, and I struggle with this in my own writing of still maintaining my integrity as a private person while also sharing really intimate parts of myself. And I think that's a really hard line and I don't think I always do it perfectly by any means. Uh, so it's, it's not easy to share the messy parts of yourself, but in my writing, I at least want to give volume to some of them so that we all don't feel so freaking alone in our flawedness. Um, and I think a lot about my relationship with myself and my relationship with my body. Uh, in the same way, Francis helps to open it up of how we how we approach relationships with lovers and with people. And we can have a relationship with a lover and get like a huge messy fight, and that doesn't mean we don't love them. Like that doesn't mean that the whole like the whole relationship is done. It just means that like we collided in a way that wasn't the easiest, and it needed to be worked through. Mm-hmm. There's always like an underlying issue that I feel like arguments bring out. So then why, you know, bringing that allowance to ourselves, the same, you know, permission, I think like, Oh my God, I hate how I look. I have to change it right now. Or um, whatever it was. Like we've talked a little bit. I would love to know your journey to being a nutritionist and kind of where you are, um, how you, you tend to see the bigger picture. I would love to talk about that with you. How did you get into food and understanding food the way you do now. Yeah. Um, so I've always had a very contentious relationship with food. Um, I mean, I think it definitely started just in child, like as, especially as young women, food is just part of our narrative from the beginning, seeing how other women eat. And it's this thing that is supposed to make us smaller. And I always had that, that fear and that control factor around food as a young girl. And then when I went to boarding school, um, it just all came to the surface in a huge way. And for a long time, I used to say, and this might very well be true, that like, oh, I was out of control. 
in and out of control scenario, and the only thing in control is my food, which might be really true. And honestly, I think I just wanted to disappear, and I felt invisible. Uh, and I think our body hears us and answers us in really curious, sometimes heartbreaking ways. Uh, and so I did disappear. Like, I did become invisible. And for me, my whole life has been a process of becoming invisible again. Of taking what space. age was that? Do you feel like 14? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I lost a profound amount of weight. And it's, you know, it's scary. You just don't, you just don't see that. Like, you just don't see yourself disappear. Um, there's still more to be lost. So you, like, I remember, like, one memory of just looking in the mirror and being like, oh, my God, what have I done? But that scenario literally lasted for, like, a fifth of a second. And then it was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the thing that shifted for me, of course, my, my friends and family were really wonderful and they said nice things, but it's really hard to hear those things from friends and family. Like it's just, sometimes you're just not ready yet. Mm-hmm. And for me, the thing that shifted over was my group coach. I hadn't started growing yet at the time. And I, I, I subsequently wrote for in both high school and college. Um, but she was like, you can't grow if, if you're that thin. Like you physically won't be able to do it. Um, and it was funny because I never wrote before, so I don't know why like, this was like the big thing, but I was growing was more important to me than whatever I was doing in my body. Mm-hmm. But I think it also was a freaking life raft. Uh, and so when I started growing and then I started lifting weights, that was the first time I was doing anything that was additive. And I could see my body get bigger and it wasn't in a way that was terrifying. It was in a way that was really gorgeous. And that got me originally curious just about, about lifting for women because almost all of our, our ways of exercising are reductive mm-hmm. and lifting is something that's additive. Uh, so that kind of started to shift things. And then I was always really curious about food, but it seemed like all the traditional tracks felt really quantitative and coming from a really charged food background where it was like, oh my God, if I eat too much, if I eat, you know, four almonds that everything's going to combust. I didn't really want to know more about food. That just seemed scary. But then I, I ended up switching to paleo, gosh, now like six years ago. And what I loved about that is it just opened up all this space and it wasn't like, it wasn't good food or bad food, kind of because you take out all the non-food. It was just food. And so all that pressure of making the right choice really fell away. Uh, and I just felt easy and it felt intuitive. And I just, it was one of those like kind of cliche moments where like, why isn't everyone doing this? Every, <laughs> everyone should do this. This is so easy. Yeah. Um, and so I actually started doing a program, like a 30 day paleo challenge at the gym I was working at the time. And that was a lot of writing and I loved that. And that was the first time I really explored that. And so that was kind of the start. And then I went. I went to Bowman College, which is a nutrition school, and did that program. And I, I came out of there being like, oh, I'm going to be a nutritionist. Like, that's just what I'm going to do. Bowman, will you explain? Because um, I know a little bit of like most, I just don't know a ton about Bowman. I know that's what Diane went through. Yeah. Um, in, I believe, San Francisco. Yeah. Somewhere North California. Is it Weston Price based? What What's kind of their theology or their like, you know, root? Yeah. So Ed Bowman is the, is the, is the guy that created it. Uh, and it is essentially like a whole foods model. It is looking at their, so basically like the first half of it are all like the new, you have a really solid nutritional background. So you get kind of biochemical, you get uh, a really solid understanding of like macronutrients, micronutrients, like what all those things do in your body, what's happening, blood sugar regulation. So you get a really great swath of yeah. nutritional information. Um, and then the second half is all therapeutic. So it's looking at different disease states um, and seeing what kind of nutritional scaffolding can help with that. Got it. Um, and it was interesting. And I remember on the, on the first day of school, everyone got together and, and said why they were here. And it was really um, prophetic of where they ended up after the program and that someone who came with an autoimmune disease had done a lot of uh, self-exploration tended to do that after school. So it was like, if someone came to them with some crazy thing, like they would love doing that sort of exploratory investment work. Mm-hmm. And for me, like I came there with the 
the lens of the relationship of I had um, I had an incredibly destructive relationship with myself and food, um, and I was curious how to heal that. Mm-hmm. And so I left school thinking I was going to be like the investigative nutritionist, and then realized like I just I wasn't excited by that stuff. I wasn't curious about stuff that stuff. I was much more curious about who was sitting down with a bit of food. Um, what stories sat down with them and how that affected their ability to be nourished. Mm. And so that's kind of where I, I tangented off to is, is much more of that piece and then looking at our other relationships in our lives, our relationship with ourselves, with our body, with partners, uh, and how starting to look at all of those relationships or choosing one will have a cascade effect on the other. So how you sit down and plate of food, how you receive love in that space is going to affect how you receive love from a partner or how you jump into bed and have an amazing experience. It all is, is interconnected. For sh- and with you, it's another reason why I love your work so much is you're not afraid to talk about sexual relationships and how much that impacts your own self and how yourself impacts those. Mm-hmm. I think nobody talks about it. So yeah, I'm you're so fun. <laughs> so I'm grateful for it. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, and it's so fun. And I love, like, because I love words, like, bringing it back to different language of, like, to diet, to delicious, and social sex. Like, and both of those things are so charged, especially for women. And one of the things that got me so curious with that was that as women, we especially, we've been trained to, um, oh shoot, my gosh, what's that word? Um, to withhold, mm-hmm. to to not eat too much, to restrain, to restrict. There we go. Restricting is what I was looking for. Um, to withhold pleasure to some degree. Like food is pleasure, is love. And it's it's pleasure for pleasure's sake to some degree. Like it's delicious. And we sit down to that experience three times a day. And if we're forever resisting pleasure, if we're, uh, we aren't able to receive that. And then you jump into bed where we have like, no language around that is incredibly charged and incredibly stigmatized and and ask ourselves to receive in that situation that seemed improbable at best mm. um, yeah. and so I love that interaction do you think so for me when I especially when you see I love how you word that can you guys tell how much I love you guys have to read all her writing it's so good it's just oh, you write you. It's, you do a great job um I think with, you know, we restrict, we restrict, we restrict, and then we also punish. Mm, and yeah. that's something I also see. We almost, you know, of course, it's like punishment of shit. I ate too much. I binge ate. I got to go run. I have to go, mm-hmm. you know, do something to fix this feeling of like, I, I effed up. I really have to do something to get back into control. Um, which we all have experienced so much. Like I ate too much, therefore I have to run this or I have to, yeah. and that's a hard thing for many of my clients to break is this, you know, cardio is almost therapy, not because of the endorphins that are released, but because they feel better about the choices they may, may have made or may make. And it's this weird relationship. And I wonder if that also affects, you know, pleasure, whether it's with, your relationship or with your partner. It's like we almost punish ourselves and do the, we don't do the things that we know ultimately will make us happy. I see that so often. It's like, I want you to, you know, what makes you happy? And someone writes it down and I'm like, how often do you do this? And they like, you know, there's excuses of time or whatever it is. But I think ultimately it's that it's like this fear of like, if they do it, I don't know. Have you ever, have you seen that relationship at all? Yeah. Well, I think we, um, we're not very, indulgence feels like something that we should be allowed to do. Like it's indulgent. Um, and sex is indulgent. And so is self-time and self-love and all of those things. And we feel guilty about that because we've kind of been trained to like, that that's not something we should just, that should be threaded throughout our day. And, Food also is indulgent, and, and pleasure is indulgent. I think, especially if we like look at it in, in the sexual realm too, of binge and restrict. Of like, if we say we binge, like it's also supposed to like not mean anything. Like, oh, I like you know, you kind of you go crazy. Um, I eat this food, and you're like, whatever, it doesn't mean anything. Like this is uh, like when in fact it freaking means everything. You know, it's like the amount of guilt and shame you've just loaded onto your shoulders means everything. And 
And sex can look a lot like that too, especially with dating. Like it's like, oh, I had a one night stand, but it doesn't mean anything. And I am like all about one night stands. Like I would have nothing against them, but like they should probably mean something. And I think that's where we really struggle too in relationships is, and with sex, is that it either is supposed to be everything or nothing. And that it's can't be, I don't, it can be binary like that. Like it should probably mean something <laughs> and something significant and something interesting and what that is can change. But same thing with food. Like it can't be everything and it can't be nothing. It, it has to exist in this really uncomfortable gray space, which is why we don't spend a lot of time there often because it's really hard to take ownership over all of your choices. And that's what the gray space is. It's, it's ownership. Uh, and it's easier for something to be nothing or for, Dissolved, dissolved, and everything. So true. And how do you feel with food? And it's okay because this, you know, obviously we're both self admittedly works in progress, oh, right? With food, how do you feel like you've changed that relationship? Like, I'm, because for me, going through the series of, um, you know, okay, so we took out the non food, I feel so liberated. And then the stages of, okay, now I feel like I could do more. How can I? capitalize do i macro count do i mm. calorie restrict do i you know this kind of relationship that i feel like i've so I've, i feel actually lucky in the way that i perceive food now and i'm not sure i can artic- articulate quite how i got here yeah and it, I, you know wouldn't it be great if i could be like well <laughs> when i turn paleo it's all a magical journey since then <laughs> You know, like I'm now 100% paleo and it's the greatest, but also I'm really filled with love and happiness. Yeah, it's so not been that at all. Like, oh my God. No, um, yeah. So when I started paleo, I was like that super dogmatic paleo human that was like, everyone else knew paleo. Like, I don't know why you even think that that could be different. Yeah. Um, and I realized that that was not at all sustainable. I think I managed to like totally mess up my gut doing something crazy. Like, I think I ate like only dried food for like a whole summer and weirdly enough like that wasn't a sustainable way dried mangoes yeah like just dried mangoes probably <laughs> three times a day uh, it was awful and so and that was a big actually interesting makeup call for me that was like just because something's under the umbrella of paleo mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's nourishing mm-hmm. and so I really had to rework and I felt super betrayed by like paleo and by my body uh, and so I had to really rework that relationship and then it's, it's been complicated. And the thing with, with food and diet is, and I see this a lot with people and with myself, of like, oh, I just have to figure it out. And once I figure it out, done. You know, and like, we just aren't static humans and we're not supposed to be static humans. And so a lot of my development in food has just been layers and layers of in- intentionally applied grace and kindness. Um, of allowing myself to realize that sometimes I'm going to eat because I'm emotional. Or because I feel panicked and I need to be grounded. And that that's okay sometimes. One of the, the biggest shifts in my life has been the question of um, what am I hungry for? And just opening up the idea that food can't be the only thing that feeds you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to look at like what else may I be deficient in? And that might be that might be love, that might be connection, that might be conversation, that might be movement. And to be much more aware of that. Uh, and sometimes that comes in hindsight. So sometimes it'll be like, oh, I'm eating right now because I'm freaking lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to be like, okay, so like I'm going to eat this chocolate, this like lonely chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> and then I'm going to realize that like I need to call my friends and make plans for tomorrow night. Otherwise, like I'm going to be right back into this situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just giving myself the space to make mistakes and to be really curious and be in conversation with myself and my body and my weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, a huge uh, recent thing was was the uh, sort of the proliferation of app mm-hmm. and that uh, since since I had a really charged, uh, really restrictive eating disorder growing up, uh, that's just intensely triggering for me. And it, because I've done so much work and I've had like fifteen years to to become more resilient, it, it took a while for all of those layers to break down, about a year and a half, and then. I realized, or I, when I say I, my therapist realized. Love therapy. Yeah, right? <laughs> Love therapy. Uh, that my my conversation around food was really disordered again. And, but that was a really hard shift, not only because 
And I'm not at all saying that macro patterning was all bad. It just, for me, it was recharging food and it was making me question everything I was eating every single day, in which the only thing I thought about was what I was going to eat. And that's not a way that I want to exist in the world. And so it brought into question how much I trusted myself and what was really hard and really gorgeous about being to some degree kind of pushed back into some iteration of eating disorder was to realize that I had to redeem my own trust. Yes. Ugh, I love that. I love this one. I call it like the book I want to write is gut instinct. Mm-hmm. Like you have not, you know, not because I'm obsessed with the gut, but like you know the tools, right? Like you have it. We just F it all up because what we see comparisons I think social media has like ruined people's gut instinct because they feel good and they look you know they look in the mirror and they're feeling confident and then something happens that triggers them to go back to second guessing and it's not the person that posts its fault it's this self this relationship like this whether it's insecurity or whether it's just the unknown Um, I don't know what it is but I, I do think that the more people realize that they know what they're doing because their body will tell them and listening. That's, I think for me, like the paleo liberation came from, Oh, if I, if I'm craving this, it means something. Yeah. Not that I'm a, a bad human or like a, you know, a sugar monster. Like yeah. there's an uh, underlying cause of that. Um, and we forget that. We totally forget that. Yeah. One of the, one of the big revelations for me was, uh, that our body's job is to have our backs too. You know, I think I, I spent a lot of time believing that like my body was just like out to thwart me and be like bigger than I wanted it to be. Um, and when you realize like our body's response to stress is often holding on to me um, because it doesn't know like if our bodies are phenomenally complicated and wonderful, but they're also like super old school. And if we're stressed and we're under eating, like, it reads it as famine. Like, it's not, it doesn't have the updated version, you know? Like, it's not been, like, rebooted and updated. It's sort of how I approach my math, which is to never, ever update it. So it is It is my current iteration of my math. Um, it's, I get the, every time I open up my laptop, it's yeah. like, your last update was 564 days ago. <laughs> I think you're doing better than I am. I'm like, it's uh, fine. You're just gonna, in an hour. My, yeah, remind me tomorrow. <laughs> Every time. Oh my god, it's so bad. Uh, but yeah, our body reads that the way it was built to read that. Like, it doesn't know that you're restricting, you know, that I'm restricted today, but that I could have plenty of food if I wanted to. And so just starting to understand how my body interprets my own actions was really helpful. And to realize that, like, it's generally acting from a place of love and safety of, like, oh no, what's going on? I gotta keep the same. And for me, a big piece has been being in conversation with my body and being like, a, I'm so sorry that I'm being such a jerk. Uh, and like, you're safe and I got you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that a lot. I think, um, have you, did you naturally like cooking? Mm-hmm. Um, you've always loved cooking? My mom cooked a lot growing up. Um, and so like, most of my childhood, like most of my memories of my mom as a kid are sitting on my kitchen table watching her, her kitchen counter watching I think just humans, like, we're supposed to create things. And food, for me, is so creative. It's this, I get to create something every single day, and I love that. I do, too. I think that I, for, like, it's so simple. People don't realize, like, throw in a new spice, and you're gonna, your brain's going to light up in a way that you don't even realize. Because you put that together, and you're more proud of it, and you are just, you know, you could be going through the most monotonous day, you could hate your job, but if you could take anything that you do have somewhat of control with, with cooking, that's like one thing that I try to teach people to fall in love with it because it's, it doesn't have to be complicated and it can be such an expression as oh, simple, yeah. as simple as changing the spice or, you know, cooking it a different way than some modified recipe online. Like, I think that's a big thing with food is so many people come to me like, I just hate cooking. I don't want to do it. And I think it's probably because of this relationship you talked about. It's like, it's maybe it is because it's pleasure or it's seen as something indulgent. Yeah, it's like all that time. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right too in that um, it doesn't have to be complicated. Mm-hmm. You know, like some freaking scrambled eggs can be the most heavy 
world, all you have to do is salt, pepper, and butter it. Ugh. Did you see this new way to make scrambled eggs that I've never known? You do it in a saucepan. And you... Oh, it was poached? It, not even. It was scrambled eggs. Oh. I saw it on the Food Network. Sometimes I like, you know, oh. might as well get inspired by some yeah. Food Network. But it's this way. I've never done scrambled eggs this way, but it's just in a saucepan. You stir, um, add whatever egg kind of gradually, take off for 30 seconds, off heat, put it back on heat, stir. And the way, how fluffy they looked. What? And then add ghee or butter. And then don't add salt and because the salt, I guess, turns it green, that kind of greenish look, until after. I'm so excited. And I was like, what? This is the simplest thing I've ever seen. But it looked like, because scrambled eggs freaked me out. But th these scrambled eggs, I was like, I can eat these. I dated a really beautiful Japanese man for a couple months, and he made eggs like that in a saucepan with like some marin and sesame oil and something else, and they were. That. See, I love hacks like that, like putting salt in your French press. Did you hear about this? What? Another food oh, network I find. Like a salt like, I can add salt to that. Like <laughs> I know it's just a tiny pinch, tiny pinch before you add water, and don't do as coarse of a grinds as they say. Okay. Um, and for whatever reason, it is like, and apparently people that I tell that are at a like if they're fifty five or older, they're all like, yeah, duh, oh, but. It got completely missed in our translation of the, you know, the revival of coffee. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm like, do hipsters know about? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I'm gonna let's blow their mind. <laughs> um, so that was something, another fun Food Network hack. But anyway, yes, I love the cooking can be such a burden um, when we hate our relationship with food. So that's something I found evolved when I found when I understood food for what it was as like the word nourishment, it became liberating. And I think that I want to, you know, that's something I wish for all people, for everyone, is this like freedom in the kitchen and not having to like, you know, measure every single piece that they put into this, you know, experiment of food. Uh, I think that that's a fun thing. For you with now where you are with food and who you are with clients, do you find that it's hard to have that relation, uh, that conversation with your clients or with the people you talk to? Because are people willing to kind of accept that food, it's okay to want to change your body without having that kind of restriction? Or what is like the thing that you see the most in clients? Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. So I've kind of changed my branding to get around that a little bit. Mm -hmm. and when I first started as a nutritionist, and I, I labeled myself as a nutritionist, a lot of my clients, like, it was, like, wanted to lose five to ten pounds, um, and I was a really horrible nutritionist because I would, or, or I would just get distracted. Like, we'd sit down, and it just wouldn't, food wouldn't seem to be the most important thing. Um, there were so many other things going on, and... For me, like I've been, you know, I'm five nine, and I've been everything from 108 pounds to now. Like I think I'm, like, I was joking some like, I don't think I've weighed myself in like 10 years. Like I think I'm like around 165 ish. Uh, Strong as fuck, guys. Just say no. <laughs> oh, can we say? Can we say? Yes, you can. Oh god, <laughs> I like like go back. I've like said jerk like eight times. If you hear jerk, no, I'm in fuck. Um, Oh, this stuff. <laughs> Do you feel liberated? There you go. So Let it out. Right <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I was not happier. At, and obviously, like, 108 pounds was very sickly, but let's say, like, 135 pounds, which would be, like, more stereotypically skinny me. Uh, I hated my body. And I struggled with the same places in my body at 135 pounds that I do at 165 pounds. Like, those those areas are miraculously different. Um, and so when working with people, it was just hard to see, like, the question, I don't know if anything's going to change when you get to 10 pounds, you know? And so started to ask, too, like, what would have to change besides your body for you to be more happy than you are in six months? Mm. And as I've sort of shifted, I now consider myself more of a life coach. Um, the, you know, the kind of the introductory emails I get are often, I try every single diet, I, you know, I've yo-yoed weight, 
Um, and these women know so know so much about food. Like are so intelligent around food and they're like, but I'm so not happy. And I'm really tired of not being happy. And so that's usually the place that I now start from with people. Mm-hmm. Is that place of just that awakening to like what do we have to wait for? Like, oh my god, is it worth waiting for ten thousand? Is it worth gambling that when that number tips over that I'll be different? Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about that a lot and I'm twenty nine and I'm about to turn I'm like six months away from turning thirty. And when I turned twenty nine, I was like, oh fuck. Like see, I can say it now, it's great. <laughs> um you know, a lot of my friends in their thirties are like, Oh, your thirties are so magical, like you get so many less fucks. Like, no, no, no. And I sat there at twenty nine and I was in a pretty hard place. And I was just like, I don't think me turning thirty is gonna make that happen. Like I don't think three hundred and sixty five days of me existing like I am right now is like next year I'm magically gonna be happy. And so for me this year has been a really difficult year of excavation of asking what do I think is true? Um, is that still true? Do I want it to be true? Like truth can actually be a pretty dynamic thing that we 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 write ourselves. And I just don't want to go into 30 carrying all of the heavy bullshit around that I've carried for the last decade. And with weight, I think it's very similar of yeah, maybe 10 pounds, like losing 10 pounds is gonna be great. But it's probably not gonna be if you haven't done all the work around why why you want to lose that weight and why you're unhappy and why you don't feel like you're enough um, why you've set your capacity to love and be loved and so you're low it's almost redefining happiness right like you think happiness it, you know people say this all the time like happiness does not change your level of happiness doesn't change when the scale does you know and it might be those short, like, oh, I did it, and the accomplishment, and that's incredible. Like, right. I'm all for so that. Right. Set goals and crush them. Like, you guys know I love that. But with happiness, it's like, what does actually make you happy? And that's scary for people because I think it's so, like, this big word of, like, we have to be happy. We have to have, you know, everything together, the best job, the best relationship. And it's just, like, that's never going to happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it can't happen. It does exist. But it's ebbs and flows, and I think it's like there's moments of happiness, and there's going to be some shit, and then you're going to, you know, you have to be willing to go through, I don't know, maybe people, maybe I feel like people have a flawed sense of this, like, word, happiness, that it's just, you achieve it, and you're there forever. Yeah, it's like you find it, you know, it's like you find happiness, and it's like this place that you get to, and then it's static, like it's a place that stays, like mm-hmm. you can live there. Um <laughs> It's a wonderland. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> uh, I, I think a better word for happiness is uncovered. Like, it can be uncovered. But also that it isn't this creepy, static state. Um, that it's way messier than that. That it's way more complicated than that. That you can be happy and not be in a relationship. That you can be searching for your human. That you can be happy and not be exactly where you want to be professionally. Um, that it isn't yeah, isn't this moment when everything aligns and the world's perfect? Because I find perfection really small. Um, that, like, you know, who wants to be done? Like, perfection means that we're done. And it also, to me, feels really shiny and, like, there's nothing to hold on to. Um, and I don't want to be a shiny, slick human that no one can connect to, that no one can, you know, like, I've tried to think a lot lately about why are we broken? Like, I kind of, like, we're all broken to some degree. We've all been broken. And why is it that I don't think I'm ever going to have, like, like, this word again, like a perfect relationship with food. I don't think that voice in me that um, is not a helpful one is Mm -hmm. ever going to be mute. And I don't know if I want her to be mute. And that, for me, because I think, when we think about transformation and shift, we're like, oh, I will succeed when I no longer hear that voice anymore. And that voice is exactly what allows me to connect to other people. Um, so the ways that we are broken are the ways in which we, like, how we can be intimate, how we can connect, how we can be human. And so for me, happiness includes that too. It is enough space for all the brokenness, but also all the, all the beauty, all the wholeness. 
God, that was so good. Fuck. Do you feel, what do you do when you hear that voice for you personally? Do you have a process? Is it kind of, you know, because I want, you know, for all of us to feel like we can handle that voice, that it doesn't have to go away, but when it's there, you know what to do. Yeah. So I've been in conversation with that voice for a long time. Uh, sometimes I literally hear it and people probably think I'm so crazy walking down the street. <laughs> I'll like literally shake. Like I'll be like, no. And I'll just kind of like shake it off to be like, reset. Like you don't need to hear that. Um, mm. But a big, so that's part of it. It's just being like, whoa, 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 whoa. Not needed right now. Like not a helpful contributor, you know? <laughs> and for me, that's been a Sit big down. thing. Sit <laughs> um, You know, a, a couple different angles. One has been, like, I think the way I started to engage with that voice was just to say, thank you, but no, thank you. Like, thank you for trying to keep me safe. Thank you for getting me this far. Because a lot of times those really, it's really easy, especially when we're in the midst of transformation, to look back at that self and that voice and just be like, fuck you. Like, I don't want anything to do with you. Like, you are small and like, I, you know, like, fuck you. And I think we forget that, like, that's still us, like, and that there's, can't really reconcile saying that to another part of ourselves, like, that we prevent some degree of wholeness and some degree of healing when we are, when we hate another part of ourselves. And so, like, that person was there when we needed them, Mm -hmm. you know, and they freaking got us here. So for me, a big piece of that is saying thank you, but no thank you to that voice. Like, thank you for all the work. I don't need to right now. Uh, and that just takes away some of the pressure. Um, another thing I love to do is to have a power phrase, and I don't really have one right now. So for me, a power phrase is like a, a personal mantra rooted in your own history. Love that. Uh, so a great example of this for me was um, in college. I remember looking at photos of myself and just always being so disappointed. Like, being like, that's what I look like. You know, and so I was like, okay, I have a solution to this. Like, I... Um, I'm an eight, like a one to a 10, I'm just going to consider myself an eight. That way, when I look at a photo, I'm not expecting a 10, I'm expecting an eight. Expectations won't be crushed. And I thought that was a brilliant freaking solution. Uh, but what I didn't realize is when we make a decision like that in a part of our life that's so significant of how we see ourselves, that it doesn't get isolated to just one piece. Like, there's no way. You know what? Like, I was, I was showing up as an eight everywhere. And uh, what I had how much space I'd allow for myself professionally, um, how much my capacity to be loved, uh, like what I what I thought was acceptable there. And I remember telling one of my good friends this, um, you know, years later, she was like, Shh, fuck that, you're 10. And so my power phrase for the longest time was like, I'm a 10. So I'd like come in a room and I'd be like, whatever, I'm a 10. <laughs> uh, I like that. And so I think something like that is really helpful too of, investigating what you think to be true. Like, why are you here? Why is that not coming up? And then uh, creating a response that's short, that, like, gets right to that, and that makes you feel powerful. You nailed that about what we expect from ourselves bleeds into our whole life. Everything. So it's like we do it to protect ourselves because we never want to feel that yuckiness that we feel when we don't like the way we look or we're you know, like, ah, oh, it's so true. And I think I experienced that a lot with um, being on TV just because I, you know, in my head I was one way. And then on TV I was another. It was like, oh, my God, to protect myself, I have to completely disconnect from that side of me. I don't want anyone to know the side of me. And it made me, a, it limited everything. And I still think we're always going to be a work in progress to break that through. But, like, I really love that you said that. Thank you for sharing that. I wonder what your Enneagram number is. Do you know that number? No. I ask everyone this, and I don't know. I need to get a better description. I don't know how to explain it very well, but it's like a personality test. I have, But it's like on a scale from 1 to 10. Oh, okay. Or you're type 1 through type 9. Okay. But I feel like you could be an actual 8, 7. I think you're a 7. 7 or 8, because I'm a 7. And you're just very... Magnetite. I don't know. We'll get to I'll send you links. I'll send you links. Um, is there anything else, like, advice-wise for someone struggling with a relationship with food? It's one of my 
you know, biggest questions for people on my challenge and, you know, as they're going through this self, you know, this radical change of, you know, cleaning up their diet and learning about food. It's, you know, at the end of the day, it's about that relationship. Do you have any final words of advice that has helped you on your journey or helped your clients? Yeah. That's a big question. You said so many good things already. I think one thing that I have talked about that is really important at starting um, is establishing why, mm-hmm. and it has to be bigger than a resume. That's just not a robust mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a great starting place. You're like, okay, cool. Like, I want to lose weight. Awesome. So one of the first things I must always do with clients is um, a five why exercise. So essentially, it's just asking why five times. Because it's a really big ask to have someone read like, what do you, you know, what do you want to do that? And for that in eight seconds to be like, oh, because I have set my capacity to love at an eight because I don't think I'm worthy of receiving nourishment in any area of my life because it's so much for me to see. So because I feel unsafe and because I I want to that's a really humongous leap. And so asking, kind of doing the digging of re-asking that question can be really interesting. Um, when I do this exercise, I always give people the heads up to that it tends to, five is a great number, it doesn't have to be the only number. Um, but right around two or three, you can get somewhere pretty dark. Like it could be, oh, why? Because I don't love myself. And that's a hard you don't necessarily want to keep digging deeper in that direction. Like, it's probably not going to end you somewhere. You're like, well, thanks for this, Maddie. I really appreciate this. Uh, <laughs> so, um, at around, once you're like, oh, dark and cool despair, that's when, and this speaks again to, I think we write our own truths, uh, really intentionally shifting that to a place of mm-hmm. So, for me, in my writing, anyways, always, like, I always want to end or, end or write on a platform. Because um, otherwise, I just don't. I don't know. What's the point for me, at least? But to really intentionally shift to a place of hope. So, if it's, um, you know, I believe that I'm unlovable. Like, oh, don't stop there. Uh, and then let's start to take a right turn. And because I, because I am lovable, because I have the right to be loved. Uh, and that's a great reason to make a shift. That is such a better, more robust reason than I want to lose 10 pounds. And the thing with losing weight or making any sort of transformation or shift uh, is that it's going to get really freaking hard at some point. Uh, and you need a really good reason to anchor yourself in change. And I want to lose weight is not a good enough reason. It's just not, and I don't mean superficial that it's like super dumb. I mean, it's surface level, it's superficial. And you need freaking subterranean shit to anchor you in change. And that's usually also where I have people build a power phrase from. So if it's like, um, gosh, I totally spaced out where I landed. But like wherever it is you land, to turn that into an affirmative statement that like resonates. That brings that goal back. Yeah. I love that. All of you guys, that's your task this week. It's fun. It's really, I mean, it's hard. It's definitely a hard thing to do Mm -hmm. um, because it asks you to uncover a lot of uncomfortable things often. And I guess that's the other piece with relationship and food. It's like, again, like allow it to have as much latitude as you would a lover. Like, it's gonna be messy, and it's okay. Like, it's not the point. Isn't to get it, mm-hmm. you know? To like, you're not gonna fix it. It's not gonna be perfect. And for me, and we were talking about this early, so I'm not sure if I said this on or off mic, but my relationship with food has been years and years of laying layer upon layer upon layer of grace and forgiveness and kindness. Um, and that's hard and necessary and it takes time and that's okay. And I I oftentimes would get to a place with food where I'm like, oh, this isn't where I want to be. But what's really nice and that's shifted now is instead of me getting there and being like, oh no, I'm a horrible person. This means that obviously I can't do any of the work do mm-hmm. this means that I'm a fraud is me just being like oh okay that's okay mm-hmm. like what do you need Maddie like what's going on 
Um, and being in a much gentler conversation with myself mm-hmm. and with my food has made this whole thing so much more spacious, mm-hmm. so much more healing. And so much more relatable. Like, gosh, you, I'm just so grateful that you have such a way with words and are also so, so great with the feelings that you're going through. Like you're willing to go through the yuck and then also explain that to people. And I think that's just such a beautiful thing. So, well, thank you. And I think what you just said is really important too. It's like going through that, you know, mm-hmm. like you gotta feel that sometimes and you have to feel to let it go, which is like the shittiest way. <laughs> you know, like I the, really wish there was a better way. But it's the only way. way. Yeah. It's totally the only way. Oh man, this is wonderful. I have one final question for okay. you. Um, do you know your spirit animal? Oh my gosh. You know, I this is like no joke. One of the <laughs> like quandaries of my life is like I wish I had a better answer to like what my spirit is. That's okay. Is. You can be uh, but I do think it's significant and interesting that I'm covered in birds, so I have a lot of tattoos. Um, oh yeah, you do. That's yeah. Weird. And I love and I actually saw a bluebird the other day and was like <gasps> So we're going to go with correct bluebird, but I love with birds that they're both, like, they're delicate and fragile, and yet they're extremely resilient, and they can fly. Fly. They're so good. Have you ever been told, I wonder if you are a raven. Mm -hmm. I accept that. I feel like you have something very, like, ravens are so wise and healers, and, like, very unique, like powerful leaders in their own right. Oh, and I feel like you would, Maybe if anyone, if anyone I that. know, you're a natural shapeshifter, oh. able to subtly disguise yourself as the occasional calls for even to the. No, that's not like that. I'm not a shapeshifter. I thought that was a changer. I'm gonna send this to you. Okay, I'm curious. But I think some sort of bird. Like, yeah, I that was the first tattoo I ever wanted, and then and now I just like want to continue to like cover myself. I'll send you some birds. Bluebird. I love bluebirds. I forgot how much I love bluebirds. They're just so surprising. Raven might be too dark for you. Like, when I think of raven, I think of, like, (laughs) 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 but they are badass. Well, thank you for coming on today. Um, This is awesome. I can't wait to work on more projects in the future because there will be awesome ones. Superheroes. And this is wonderful. Yay. Thank you so much. Where can people find you and oh. all that goodness? I'll have it in the bio as well, but. Oh, cool. So the place I'm the most active is Instagram and I'm at Mad Wellness um, on Instagram. And then I also do a weekly newsletter, which is just kind of the, the piece I spend the most time on each week. And so that can just be found at maddiemurphy.com as well as like those are posted every week. But um, I love that, that weekly newsletter I'm Well, if it's your writing, I can only imagine how impactful it is. So I, I need to sign up for that. I need to get on it right now. Um, thank you. Thank you. Guys, oh thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.